Warning, this show may contain adult language that is not suitable for all audiences. This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter. This is the interview edition where we talk to a lot of the fantastic fighters that are on this weekend's card. It's UFC Fight Night, Volkov versus Aspinall taking place at the O2 Arena in London, England. The first time back across the pond in more than two years. And I'm sure it will be electric because a lot of the top fighters from the region are competing on the card and we will talk to them on this year program. Let's start off with Patty Pimblett, who's taking on Gazula Vargas. Uh, he seems to be a freight train in terms of his popularity among mixed martial arts fans. You know, I mentioned this to him off the top. I was with two of my younger cousins recently who have really gotten into the sport in the last year or two, and they were like, oh, Patty Pimblett's the best. I'm thinking, Patty Pimblett's had one fight in the UFC. It's like, how, what's he doing that's resonating so much with these, uh, these young fans of the sport? And, uh, he, he laid it out to me, uh, in our interview. So make sure you tune out to, into that in, uh, just a few minutes time. After I'm done lining up all of these interviews for you so that you know who you're going to be hearing from on this great show. Dan Hooker in the co-main event against Arnold Allen. He will be joining us as well. Talking about uh, quite a trek from New Zealand to London. I had no idea how long it took to get from... I didn't think that you could have a flight that was as long as that flight. Like, to anywhere in the world, from anywhere in the world. So uh, we will hear from Dan Hooker about his uh, move back to the featherweight division. Paul Craig. I had such a great time speaking with Paul Craig. What a gentleman. What a nice man. Can't help but uh, root for this guy's success, although his opponent, Nikhil Krilov, representing Ukraine, it's hard to uh, hard to go, <laughs> you know, pick against somebody in that kind of a situation. You you, uh, you hate to see a fighter have to compete under such uh, hellacious terms. Uh, but Paul Craig taking on Nikhil Krilov in the light heavyweight division. And finally, one of the top, top prospects, I think, really in the history of the UFC, Considering the division, considering his age and his accomplishments, Muhammad Mokhayev taking on Cody Durden. Muhammad will join us to talk about uh, his trek to the UFC, his debut fight, and when he hopes to be a UFC champion, because he has that on his radar already before his first UFC fight. So he certainly is looking down the road in terms of what he hopes to accomplish in the sport, and you always like to see fighters with that kind of confidence. So... Let's get it started. We'll start with Patty Pimblett, followed by Dan, the Hangman Hooker, Paul, Craig, and Muhammad Mokhayev, right here on the TSN MMA Show Interview Edition. Well, the show hasn't even started, but Patty Pimblett has already stolen the show in London for this weekend's UFC Fight Night card. Now, I had some cousins who just started watching the UFC the last year or two, and they're like, oh, it's Patty the Batty. I'm so excited about this guy. How is it that you resonate with so many people? You've had one UFC fight. I know... Not everybody's watched their fights in Cage Warriors, but I'm here in Canada, and I've got these these guys that are excited to watch you fight, having seen you only fight once. I just, that's just say, I resonate with people a lot. I don't look like a typical fighter. I look like the boy next door. I look like I should be in a boy band. But I'm in the cage fighting, lad, and people can relate to me because of that. People look at me and think, oh, yeah, he's... It's just like everyone else, and I am not. I don't try and be something I'm not. I'm just me, and I think people like that. I think the latter part of that, where you said you're just you, is really where you nail it. You know, I watched your last fight, obviously, and at the end, you're, you're dancing around, you're celebrating. I'm like, this guy's got something. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but it's just something about it is is exciting and, and fun that you don't see out of a lot of other fighters. Yeah, a few people have said it to me. Like, I've got it. Whatever it is, I've got it. And it's just that simple. And as I say, I'm just being myself. And I don't, that's why I don't like it when other people put acts on and try and be tough men or put these WWE personas on because I'm just me. And people should take take notice that because people like me for me, people like me for being who I am. And that's what I can say about that, really. Did anybody tell you this growing up? Like, Did anybody ever say to you there's something, something about you that... that is energetic or, or something like that, that that stands out to them? Um, well, when I first got into MMA, lad, I started, as soon as I started fighting amateur, lad, I sort of bit a name for me on the scene where I put something on a forum saying I'm the best amateur bantamweight in the country. So immediately I was getting spoke about and stuff like that. And then obviously when I went pro, I went pro at 17 and 
from when I was just a young kid fighting. Like I got signed by Cage Warriors at three and up, and from there it just just blew up. People started to get on me. People started to notice me, and you know it was it's just went from there. This is my destiny. I don't want to be the biggest star in the world when it comes to this sport. Simple as that. I saw the UFC tweeted out the video from yesterday with yourself and Anelia Tupuria, and I thought to myself, it feels like they're promoting this fight that's not even happening this weekend. So when I read it, you know, they they couldn't say, you know, these guys are fighting different guys, but obviously this confrontation happened between the two of you, uh, stemming from uh, a bit of a Twitter conversation that happened several months ago. How did this all come about? Like, did he just see you out in the hotel lobby and you waved to him or something? Yeah, he saw, just he saw him. Mr. Hand Sanitizer saw me on my own. You know what I mean? Saw me on my own. Saw me when, you know, I was with no one. I was just warming food up. And he come over and tried to bully me, you know what I mean? And he got a hand sanitizer bottle, bounced off his head. Not much more I can say about it, you know what I mean? He come at me and tried to sweat, slap me and got a hand sanitizer, bounced off his head and then threw a punch, what missed. And I stood there and stood my ground and he got pulled away. When If you're going to do something, lad, do it. Don't act like you're going to do something, you little fart. Now, from what I understand, you did an interview with Robbie Fox, and the only thing that really hit the floor during that confrontation was half of your eggs, and that's the part that made you the angriest. Yeah, that was gutted. I, I'm, I love my food, especially when it's fight week, and you can only have little bits. You've got to savor them little bits. So when the, the prick knocked me food on the floor, that's what... Like, at first, I just took a step back and thought, yeah, you're with all your boys. I'll leave it, you know what I mean? And then when I noticed all my eggs on the floor, I thought, no, what, now you're getting terrorized, you little maggots. How are you enjoying fight week otherwise? Has it been a lot of attention geared your way? Oh, it's been sound. Being sound. Being proper chilled. I don't mind it. Like, the people say about all the interviews and the cameras and stuff like that, but I, I was put on this earth to do this. I was put on this earth to fight and entertain people. And all the cameras and the interviews are just part of that. I don't mind it at all. Everyone always says, oh, how do you deal with it? And I'm like, this is just normal to me. Like, all the staff are always like, oh, you're so easy to work with. And it's just, this is nothing to me. Like, doing interviews and getting pictures and stuff like that. I've been doing it for years and it's not something that I'll ever be act like a diva about. I just get on with it. Do you feel like that makes it less of a pressure situation for you because you're so open to doing all of these things? You know, being a superstar in a sport is a very fragile thing. We've seen as soon as someone loses, Amanda Nunes, for example, recently lost. And 24 hours before that fight, she was the second coming. She was the greatest female fighter of all time. And then she's number four on the pound for pound rankings like a couple of days later. And people are talking about her like she was never any good to begin with. You know, it's, it's just a really yeah. fragile thing. So do you feel more pressure going into each fight because you have to protect that part of your brand? I don't feel pressure, lad. Um, I genuinely don't. I know they say pressure makes diamonds and that, but I don't even feel it. One of the things I always say is when people ask you, you get nervous and like, it's the point in being nervous when you know you're going to win. The only fights I've ever went into nervous, I've been injured or I've had stuff going on and I've lost. You know what I mean? So I don't feel pressure, lad. I'm just chilling. I'm just sitting with my team. I can't wait to go and watch Liverpool play tonight, lad. Go and watch them kick some ass. That's what I'm about. Now, Kazula Vargas, were you familiar with him before you signed this contract? A lot of people are calling this a showcase fight, as they say. Um, how do you stay away from believing that it is, in fact, a showcase fight and respecting this man? No, a fight's a fight. Once that cage door's locked, anything can happen. And I'm not taking anything for granted. I take my career one step at a time. I don't look past anyone. So I, I was aware of him because when I, went to, when I was fighting in Vegas last time, the second opponent what got offered to me was Cazula Vargas. And we said, yeah. The first opponent was a Brazilian. We said, yeah, he pulled out. Second opponent was Vargas. He said, yeah, then pulled out. Third opponent was Luigi Benzamini. Said, yeah, fought him, knocked him out. This time, first opponent what got offered was Cazula Vargas. We said, yeah, straight away. Took the fight and no disrespect to him, but I think my me, me debut was a tougher fight. I think Luigi Benzamini was a tougher fight than that. I don't know how familiar you are with the uh, UFC strike marketplace. It's the, uh, the NFT project. Usually when you look at how much the floor price of one of these moments is, is a good indication of where you're at in your career. And yours is like the third or fourth most expensive one. Uh, has anybody been sending you any messages about this and, and I guess your value on that marketplace? 
yeah, a few people have sent me messages about it. Like, it just shows how well thought of I am, and now that everyone knows what direction my career is headed in, lad, I'm, I'm going. It's gonna blow up even more after this fight. It's gonna be massive. And you did an interview with Brad Okamoto earlier, where you said that you were the second coming of Jesus. Now, did you take anything from the Beatles playbook? Never. You know, John Lennon once said that the Beatles were more popular than Jesus. There was a big controversy at the time in the sixties, but yeah, the what, yeah, the what they was. But what I said was, when I walk out in this arena and Dana sees the atmosphere and stuff like that, he's going to be like, "Whoa, this is the second coming of Jesus Christ." I didn't say I am the second coming of Jesus Christ. I'm relaying it from a tweet, so I apologize. I haven't seen the the interview; hasn't been released. Yeah. Yet, no, so. it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> So, I mean, in the arena, though, uh, in the O2 on Saturday, will you be more popular than Jesus Christ, like John Lennon once said about the Beatles? Yeah, definitely. That goes without saying, lad. It's going to be pandemonium in there. You're going to have seen nothing like it at a UFC event ever. Were you a big fan of the Beatles growing up? Obviously, with Liverpool being so closely associated with the Beatles, did you listen to them as a kid? Not as much as a kid. When I got a bit older, when I was like 15, 16, 17, and I've still got a bit of it on my phone, you know what I mean? I still listen to a bit of the Beatles on Shuffle. But um, I don't. I was a little bit before my time, but like George Addison's my favourite Beatles, to be honest. I, I, I like that. I think that of, of the solo albums that came out, George Harrison's were the best. Yeah, one of the best songs they ever made was Here Comes the Sun, and he wrote it. Absolutely. So what, what kind of music do you listen to now? I'm because you wanted to my my phone when I put it on shuffle. Lad. Every different type of music will come on. Lad, there'll be Fleetwood Mac, then Abbey, then Grime, then a dance song, then Still Dre, then Eminem. You know what I mean? Mob Deep, then another mad tune will come on. Like Build Me Up, Buttercup. I have a mad taste in music. I like a bit of everything. See, most of these things are before your time. You say the Beatles are before your time. You're mentioning a lot of different artists that are probably before your time. Yeah, I am. But as I say, when I was younger, I didn't really listen to not, not on what was before me time until me, me earbuds matured. Last thing I want to ask you about. Uh, I spoke to uh, Mohammed Mokhayev earlier today, and he was a little bit upset about you mentioning that you didn't like the fact that he was representing uh, England. He's, he's now an, an English citizen. Uh, what about that rubs you the wrong way? I'm not even... He's, he's, he's bottom feed to me, lad. I don't want to even, don't even mention his name to me. He's a little piece of shit. How did that don't mention his name to me, lad. up on your radar at that time when you mentioned those comments? Because he talks shit about people lying in hospital beds, lad. That's why. You know what I mean? He's a little piece of shit. Don't mention him to me, lad. And keep telling him to keep my name out of his mouth. A little scumbag. All right, well, I, I won't ask you any follow-up questions about him then. I, I will just say best of luck to you this weekend against Kazula Vareg, uh, Vargas. Appreciate your time and look forward to speaking with you again soon. I, I'm excited to watch your ascension in the UFC. Nice one, fella. This is just the beginning, lad. Don't you worry. A new chapter's going to get opened on Saturday night. I'm pleased to be joined now by Dan the Hangman Hooker. Now, you're always in a good mood during fight week, but you're cutting down to 145 again, six feet tall. Am I going to get a good mood, Dan Hooker, today, or are you going to be a little bit more laid back with me? I'm always in a good mood. I'm always in a good mood. That's the secret. That's the secret. Now, this is this is, all, this is my favorite time, fight week. Um, it's like the most exciting part of being a fighter is being a part of fight week and... and doing these interviews and experiencing everything, experiencing a new place. So, as always, uh, happy to be here. And the least exciting part we touched on before this interview started, flying to the UK from New Zealand is 24 hours in the air, you told me. I, I didn't realize the world was big enough that flights could take this long. <laughs> yeah, like that, that's, the, that's the funny thing about it. Everyone's um, going on about the weight cut, making a big deal of the weight cut. And I'm like, that, that compared to that flight and that jet lag, is, uh, the weight cut has been comparatively very easy. <laughs> so when you're on the plane, do they have that map where you can see where you are at that point in time? Like, do you, did you see how many different countries you passed? Although I doubt you're sitting there for 24 hours looking at a, an interactive map. But did you see how many different places you passed over on the way there? I try to avoid that map as much as I possibly we can i look at it maybe once on each flight for five minutes and then i leave it yeah it was 12 hour flight to la had a layover there and then another 12 hours to london so man door to door 
I think it was yeah, probably thirty six, thirty seven hours. So it took some, it took some traveling time. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, you could say that it took some tra- some traveling time. Why do you avoid the interactive map? I love the interactive map. I just don't want to know. I don't want to know how how long I've been there. I don't want to know how long I got. I close my eyes. I sl- oh, I'm lucky that I, I sleep on planes. I always say, if I had. A superpower that that would be my superpower. I have the super ability to sleep on planes. So I think I sleep eight nine hours on the first flight, eight nine hours on the second flight. So I, I try to yeah. It's like the advantage of having flown around the world so many times is that you get pretty good. You get pretty good. It, it comes down to a bit of a bit of a science to like mitigate the the effects of that jet lag as much as possible. It must be a city kickboxing thing because Israel's told me that that's his superpower as well. That he he can just Close his eyes and he's, he's out for the you know duration of I I wish I had that superpower. Yeah, well, it drives my wife up the it drives my wife up the wall because we'll get on a plane before the plane even takes off. My eyes are shut and I'm snoring. I'm 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 gone. I wake up for food and that's about it. That's about it. And she's she's the polar opposite. She can't get to sleep whatsoever. So she's wide awake, just looking across at me, getting getting super jealous. My wife's the same way, and with jet lag, it's just don't don't get me started. She can't she can't handle it. It's it's unbelievable to me. Uh, so the restrictions in New Zealand have changed quite a bit. What's the difference now um, in terms of how New Zealand is handling COVID? It seems like the rest of the world, the entire world, really is starting to change their tune on on how they see uh, it as a threat to their society. Yeah, oh, the world's kind of chucked it in the rearview mirror. We've all, we've all, well, coming over here, especially to the UK, to England, it's, um, no restrictions, no masks, no nothing. So, yeah, besides the, um, testing to get on a plane, that's about it. You're, you're, you're really, you're really good to go. About a week, two weeks ago, New Zealand, um, opened the borders back up to New Zealanders. So, uh, after this flight, I'm able to get back on a plane and return home, which is just unreal. Unreal. It's, uh, yeah, like a, a huge weight has been lifted off my shoulders because of that. It's amazing the things we take for granted. Like most of the fighters didn't have to endure that for the past two years. You're shifting weight classes. You're being active. You're going through all of this while you have to basically worry about how you're going to get back into your country. It must have been very daunting at the time. And this must be a massive relief for you and your family. Yeah, like I just um, blocked it out that whole time. Uh, it's it was out of my hands. It was out of my control. So there's no there was no point sitting around and, and worrying about it. I it's like one of my philosophies on life is is don't don't spend time worrying about something that you can't control. And that's something that I had no power. I have no impact on COVID restrictions or the government or anything like that. All I can do is keep moving forward and that so that's what I did the last few years uh, regardless of the circumstances put one foot in front of the other keep getting out of bed every day and, and pushing forward I have the same philosophy on life if you can't control it don't sweat it but at the same time it can still annoy you like it can still annoy you that these things are happening that you can't control <laughs> yeah oh, like in in hindsight I, I just block it out at the time but now it wasn't until the you know the announcement came through the government changed the policy they lifted the restrictions that I was, I I really acknowledged it. Like before that, people say, "Oh, how's that going to affect the fight?" And you say, "No, nah, no, nah, don't. It's not going to have. It's not going to have any effect. It's not going to. I'm not going to think about it at all." But it it definitely does. It definitely does um, weigh you down. It definitely does uh, add a bit more like mental weight you have to carry going into the fight. So to have that. To have that relieved now is me. I feel a lot more free to go out there and, and fight the way that I, um, the way that I usually fight. Yeah, absolutely. Because the way that you normally fight is, I mean, you're in barn burners a lot of the time, right? So that can affect when you're able to fly back, anyways, and what you're going to be doing after the fight. You know, there there are circumstances that are caused by your style of fighting. Exactly. Uh, you, you hit the nail on the head there. Um, especially with the way that I fight by getting in those kind of fights, they don't, yeah, it's not, uh, it's not, it takes longer that people don't see it. It takes a lot longer to recover from those kind of fights than people really see. Sometimes it can take a month, two months until you're back at a, at a hundred percent. So being stuck in a hotel room by yourself for a month when you're beat up 
uh, and having having none of your friends and family around you is is uh, a daunting task to face. So now that I know that I can just go straight home, have have my complete support network around me once I return back to um, friendly territory is is great. So I'm excited. I'm not worried about I'm not worried about what's going to happen after the fight. I'm not worried about um, yeah I don't have to worry about preserving anything, saving anything for what's going to come next after the fight. I just get to I just get to focus on the fight, and it's very it's just freeing. I, I feel a lot of a lot of freedom coming into this fight. Yeah, being in a hotel room by yourself for a month is like being on a bad reality show, except it's just not a show; it's just reality, which makes it way worse. There's no prize. Oh, big time! Like people, people obviously see after the fight, but they don't see it. You don't show them like in depth <clears throat> the kind of struggles that you go through after the fight. They just see a, you know, a, a picture on social media every now and then, and they're just like, "Oh yeah, no, he's still alive. He's still moving around. He's standing upright. He must be all right." So it's <laughs> it is, um, yeah, it's just something that people don't see. So what made you decide to move back to featherweight at this stage in your career? You were three and three as a featherweight in the UFC, and the champion happens to be one of your training partners. So, uh, what what was the impetus for this uh, decision to move back to one forty five? Something that I've been thinking about for a while. Something I've been sitting on uh, for a while. I think it was about a year and a half ago that I first uh, approached my coaches um, and let them know of my atten- intention to, to shift weight class back to featherweight and. Like looking back, I, when I left featherweight, I always had the attention, uh, the intention of returning to the weight class. So it's just the timing. The timing on it is is all there. The stars align. Um, yeah, people. I'm just excited to show people. You can say it. You can tell people what you want. That making the weight class is. Like, I'm not the only six foot tall featherweight in the division there <laughs> there are more than there are more than a few of us um floating around so yeah i, I want to show people that it's the right um decision for me well there are a lot of matchups that i think for you at 145 now versus when you were you know in the, in the division before back then there were a lot of wrestling based fighters chad mendez guys like that whereas now if you look up and down the rankings of 145 Aside from maybe Bryce Mitchell and uh, you know a couple other outliers, these are the types of fights that, that, that Dan Hooker would relish, I would imagine. A lot of really good stand-up fighters with great technique that you can put yourself against and test yourself against. Oh, without a doubt, like the featherweight division is on absolute fire at the moment. But that's played no impact on my decision. Like looking at looking at the weight classes had no impact on my decision um, to move weight classes. I feel. Like I, I will perform better at that weight class. I feel like it's the best weight class for me. That's the, that's really the only decision. Like I'm, I'm focused on myself. I don't spend time like looking through the rankings, or I, I definitely didn't make the switch because I think it's going to be some kind of easier um, weight class to compete in. So I'm, uh, yeah, it's 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 about me. It's about uh, me performing at my best, and featherweight is that weight class. Well, certainly not an easy task in the co-main event uh, on the home soil of your opponent, uh, Arnold Allen, who's got the longest win streak in the featherweight division right now, tied, I believe, with Volkanovski at eight. Um, so should he be victorious against you, which, of course, we shouldn't speak that into existence, it'll be the longest win streak of that in the division. So this is a guy who I think is incredibly well-rounded. You know, if you were to grade your striking is like a nine or 9.5, I think he's like an eight or 8.5 everywhere. He's just super well-rounded at, at everything. Is that the way that you look at him? Yeah, I do feel like he's a very like. It, 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 no one gets to eight no in the UFC uh, because they're a mug. Like he's obviously a super talented fighter, uh, very well rounded. So, as as a competitor, that's what's drawn me towards the fight is is his win streak, is his talented. I want to get out there and compete against the best guys. I always have chased the best fighter I could possibly get my hands on at the time, and and. Arnold Allen is that is that opponent, and we both we both have a lot to gain from this. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's why we respect you so much as a, as a competitor, Dan. You know, you don't you, you don't pick your fight; you just pick up the phone, which we uh, we always respect uh, of of UFC fighters. So, best of luck this weekend. Uh, always a pleasure catching up with you yourself, Arnold Allen, the co-main event of UFC Fight Night in London, first time back across the pond. Uh, always appreciate your time. No trouble, mate. Thank you. 
I'm pleased to be joined by one of the most exciting light heavyweights in the world. He is the Bear Jew, Paul Craig. A big matchup against Nikita Krylov this weekend. Now, before we start, I have to ask you something about your native Scotland. Who are the best yeah. band from Scotland? Because I've got a strong opinion on this. Who do you think is the best band? Well, for me, it's a tie. I, in fact, right. like I, gun to my head, I have to pick two. I have to pick Primal Scream and Teenage Fan Club. Right. So you like the grunge? You like that sort of look? Because a teenage fan club was Kurt Cobain's favorite band. Am I correct in saying that? I don't. I don't know. I know that Bandwagon esque their album came out the same year as Nevermind, and certain yep. publications said that Bandwagon esque was the album of the year over Nevermind, which a lot of people don't realize because it doesn't have quite the acclaim of Nevermind, of course. So I'm a my my favorite band is I love Scottish music. I love Scottish bands. I like bands like Friend Rabbit, uh, I like Primal Scream, uh, Frutellis, all these sort of bands. Uh, I had a favourite band as a teenager called Biffy Clyro. They're my guys, three boys for Ayrshire, uh, Simon, Ben and James. Uh, and they're my ultimate band. I used one of their songs in my walkout song. The last band I used for my walkout song was uh, Daikinis, who's another Scottish band. So Scottish music, Scottish, uh, everything about Scotland I love. Um, but for me, it's Biffy Clyro. I know Biffy Clyro. They're great. And James, you said James are from Scotland? I didn't even know James were from Scotland. Uh, no, not James. That's one of the guys from uh, Biffy Clyro. Okay. So it's the drummer's called Ben, the guitarist Simon, and the bassist is James. Um, and as an adult now, and as a professional athlete, I've actually... I'm in contact with these guys now. So as a kid, I was growing up listening to their albums. 20 years ago it was, they just released, uh, the 20 years ago they released Black Sky. I listened to it, it was very influential in my life as a kid, influential in the music choice that I went on to listen to. And now I get to speak to these guys, and now these guys message me and show support, show love for MMA. It's crazy what getting punched and kicked in the head can do for you. Yeah, well, it seems like there's a real brotherhood among those in Scotland. Um, because if you know somebody who's of note from Scotland, they all seem, everybody seems to know each other. And I looked at your, uh, your, the city that you're from, uh, remind me what's called, Airlie? Is that what it's called? Airdrie. Yeah, Airdrie. And, uh, you see notable people, and Paul Craig is there on, on the list of, uh, notable people from Airdrie. So that must mean a lot to you. It does, like, I said this today, one of the, seen a few years, people are going to be taking athletes from Scotland and I'm going to come up as one of the top athletes from Scotland which is crazy to think about um, when we leave this sport and we leave this world there's only one thing that's going to last and it's going to be the legacy that you leave behind you and I believe that being Scottish being the kind of fighter I am having these exciting fights like the arm breakage in Mal Hill or the last minute submission of uh, Ankalaev these will be down in like my history my legend of Paul Craig well, I think also in UFC history, if you look at your bout against Ankalaev, who was successful this past weekend in his main event against Thiago Santos, I think that's the biggest comeback in the history of the UFC because we're talking 459 of the third round. And, you know, no disrespect, but he was he was beating you up until that point. He was, he was. But it's part of this sport. You've got 15 minutes to, to do what you have to do. And if you're not able to do it in that time, then you lose. And that's what happened there. So some people can say, you know, it was lucky. Was it lucky that I put in all the work in the gym over the six months prior to that? Was it luck that I trained that position? Was it luck? No, it's about it's about doing stuff. It's about repeating the same things over and over again. And uh, I think it is like the latest submission in a three-round fight. So I'll go down in some sort of uh, UFC history. Well, if somebody wants to say that that's lucky, what you should say is, I'm going to get a python to wrap himself around your neck for 20 seconds. And if you are able to withstand tapping in that 20 seconds, yeah. then, uh, then you're lucky because lucky. that's basically what it is, right? It's easier, to, easier said than done. And see the amount of people that say, the amount of people that come up to me and say, uh, I wouldn't have tapped, I'd have went out. But you say that, but our bodies are conditioned to protect ourselves. So although he potentially could have went out, and won the round, his body had to protect him, and that was by a tap, and that's, he couldn't, that was an involuntary action. All right, so when that happens, the bell sounds. Did you know that you had won the fight at that point in time? I did. I remember Mark Goddard, the referee, um, I remember he, he, he slaps me in the forehead, and it's like, 
at that precise moment, I knew I had one. And he hit, like, if you watch back the, the image, and I'm sure you can fire it up uh, during this interview, but he slaps me in the forehead, and it's just like this this weird, surreal moment for me. And then as I stand up, just all my emotions and the halation of just getting that submission victory over a top opponent was was finally over. It was, a, it was an amazing experience. And I would love to say... I'll feel it again, but I don't want to go 15 minutes and leave it to the last second. I would rather get it done early and get to bed and get uh, out the octagon. Yeah, I think you have a better chance of getting hit by lightning than getting a 459 third round finish for a second time. Definitely. I, I hope that doesn't happen, though, of course. I know that it does rain very often in Scotland. I don't want that. You know, I'm not trying to jinx you or anything. <laughs> it does. You know, the weather, one of the things about Scotland is we do get a bit of rain. And we do get some thunderstorms. But what we do have in Scotland through being in there is we're always looking in the bright side of life because it can't get any water worse. The rain's always coming. It's always dank, dark and grey. And all we need to do is get ready and look forward to that sun coming. Well, absolutely. That's what I love about people from Scotland. It's, uh, it's that kind of an outlook that you bring to the table. Not everybody has that ability to, to see uh, through the clouds, so to speak. Yep, Scotland have always been underdogs, haven't we? You look at uh, through like history when we had people like William Morris, Robert the Bruce, Bruce, we were always underdogs. And even if you look at my MMA career as well, always underdogs. So being Scottish is always about being an underdog. Well, I mentioned to you before we started that you're one of my favorite fighters to watch in the UFC, um, and I put you up there with uh, the likes of Charles Oliveira. Um, who I, I believe he's my favorite fighter to watch that, that I've ever seen. And, and, you know, as a journalist, I try not to pick favorites, uh, but this is just strictly from a, a standpoint of, of technique. And the reason why is because you're so opportunistic with your jujitsu your and your submissions. Um, how did you learn that? And, and how are you always, during a fight, thinking about your next move, so to speak, the, you know, the chess match of it all? As it comes down to like the, the, like training something that you enjoy. So when I first picked up jujitsu, I started enjoying it and then from enjoying it I wanted to learn and then as I got learned more I was able to produce more uh, moves and it's like the best way to describe it is like soup everybody's got their own soup that they make at home but what you do is you add little bits of different to make it taste different and that's what my jiu-jitsu is it's like a bowl of soup it's always different you're always learning something you're always making it differently you can never ever make the same soup twice uh, and that's what my jiu-jitsu is like uh, and I can't believe I'm talking about soup comparing my like this is some analogy soup to my jiu-jitsu but it's, it's through love of jiu-jitsu that's why I'm always looking for it I'm not the best striker in the division but I can do it what I rely on is my jiu-jitsu to be better than the opponent I'm going up against and we've seen that it is very effective in MMA in the 205 division. Well, I think you nailed it there. It's the light heavyweight division. You know, we haven't seen a lot of people that go jiu-jitsu or submission first in the division. Yep. Um, even uh, Rogerio Noguera, a lot of people have the misconception that he's th- this jiu-jitsu. He was more of a boxer, right? Yep. If you look back at the light heavyweight division, you've got guys like Hodger Gracie, who was more of a, a submission first fighter. Uh, Antonio Carlos Jr., who's at 205, at least in the PFL. He wasn't really in the UFC. He had a cup of coffee at 205. But I think that's what gives you kind of a distinct advantage is that at, at any given time, you can kind of pull something out of your sleeve um, in terms of your submission attacks and get somebody. And I mean, it, it goes to show in the Ankalaya fight about how that can happen. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things about my jiu-jitsu is the fact that I'm long, I'm lean. Uh, I'm able to find myself in these positions and see if I was re- remembered for the the guy, the jiu-jitsu fighter who managed to become this, the, the UFC champion. I would love that because it gets to it gets to showcase what my coaches and what my team are able to do in jiu-jitsu as well. Not very many people would would be worried about a Scottish guy's jiu-jitsu. You know, the countries we worry about jiu-jitsu are Brazil. It's, a, it's where it comes from. And then you're worried about wrestlers from America. And you're worried about strikers from the Eastern countries. Whereas you can say, what about Paul Craig's, the Scottish guy's jiu-jitsu? You need to worry about that. It's weird to think. Yeah, I think it's what makes you such a unique fighter to watch. As well. Now, I watched your media day from earlier today, and you talked about this bout with Krilov, and you said something along the lines of, if, if I lose to Krilov, I don't really belong in the light heavyweight top 10. Um, so where would you go from here? If, if, if for whatever reason it doesn't work out on Saturday, uh, you said you're 34 years old. I, I'm sure that you know that your career is a, is a finite time. 
where would yeah. you go from here if that was the case? Uh, so one of the things I said was, he's the gatekeeper for me. I need to beat him to get into that top 10. And if I'm not able to do it, then I will need to rethink about the strategies of where I'm going to try and get into that top 10 division. Do I believe I've still got some uh, time left in me? Yes, definitely. I've at least got another four years of good, solid training where I will not be um, beaten by the guys in the division. So if I can't beat him on Saturday night, then it's back to the drawing board and we need to see another way getting into this top 10. But I definitely don't think it's over. I originally put out the number of 35 because I believed that it's a, it's an age where fighters are starting to depreciate. But because I've had such a short career, starting at the age of 24, I didn't start this when I was a teenager and I've taken loads of damage. What I've done is I've started at 24 and I've, I've, got, I've still got miles left in the clock. So I, I believe I'm just coming into my peak. And if Saturday's not to go my way, then we go back to the drawing board and we start again and we see where we can go. But it's not the end of Paul Craig. I find it interesting that your last two wins are considered TKOs. I mean, the last one it, with Jamal Hill is considered a TKO. And then the one against Shogun, where he, he submitted to strikes, for whatever reason, yeah. is registered as a TKO. Has anybody explained to you why that's the case? I have no idea, but you know... The amount of people that uh, put on their bet is Paul Craig to win via submission, and they don't get the they don't get the the, the payout because it's went down as a TKO. But for me, it's definitely it's, they are definitely submissions. I've put this person in a submission where his arm was broken, or I've put him in a position where he's tapped and he said he submitted to my will, and it's tough. But um, there's going to be another submission at the weekend. Yeah, I I make picks for uh, my my um, news organization TSN, and my pick was Paul yeah. Craig by submission in the last fight. So I uh, that was a, that Which, was a bummer. That was a bummer for the people that tailed me. Yeah, did you did you have a a, a submission in mind? Was it like a real naked trying? What, what was your submission if you were paying for that last fight? Well, I, basically the uh, the prop things that go the prop bets that go on the board. The lines for them is just submission, straight up submission. So I didn't uh, listen. I'm not going to try to guess which kind of submissions you do because you've got an arsenal. I can't, I yeah. can't, I can't uh, submit the or predict the the exact submission. Although if I was going to to uh, predict one for this coming weekend, it would be triangle choke. Am I onto something there? Yeah, you know, triangle. These areas are where I'm very dangerous. Um, for when I first started jujitsu, one of my coaches had mentioned. So I was only like a blue belt at this point, and he says that my triangle game. It's like a black belt. So I was only a blue belt at the time and he's comparing my triangle game to a black belt. Uh, Baralio Steam, I remember he was saying that. And that was always like a, like a feather in my cap to say that my, my, my triangle game is very, very strong. But as you're saying, it's not just that. There's other areas in my game that I've never, ever shown. My ability to control on top, my ability to take back. But this is in jiu-jitsu. In the world of MMA, we don't get that chance. It's all about finishing. It's all about strikes. So maybe in the next couple of years, you'll see more jiu-jitsu competitions for me because I love the sport. Absolutely. Now, what's it like mentally to go into a fight with somebody whose country's at war? I mean, Nikola Krylov is a great fighter, and you have to worry about him from all kinds of different facets in that regard. But yep. You also have to think about the emotions that he's bringing into this fight. Yep. It's definitely, you know, the real fight that Krylov is experiencing is uh, what's going on at his home, you know, he's a Ukrainian native, but he represents Russia and his family's from Russia. So this fight at the weekend's nothing compared to what he's gone through. His real life experience is bigger than this fight at the weekend. So I can only take my hat off to him to turn up here on Saturday night and 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 step into the octagon with all this hanging over him. But as part of your uh, mindset is we've put in a full camp and we need to get to the end of that and then after that I believe that he's going to go back and uh, deal with the real fight and final question for you uh, you fought in the UFC for several years but you fought in like six or seven different countries in your time with the UFC I saw you fought in Mexico of course you fought in your native Scotland uh, you're fighting in um, England this time around Abu Dhabi what's it been like traveling the world as a fighter did you ever expect that you'd get to go to so many different places uh, as a UFC athlete I didn't, I'd never, as a kid, if you'd say to me, Paul, you are going to travel the world and you're going to get paid to fight, I'd never have believed you because I was very late coming into the sport. But 
for some reason, the UFC liked me to travel the world, and I'm not going to stop that because I get to experience some of the stuff that I would never experience. You know, as a kid, I never went on any family holidays to a nice, fun, warm place. We used to go and go a holiday in uh, Scotland, so I never ever experienced anything like the sun in Arizona, the the thunderstorm in Brazil. So all this kind of stuff is a huge experience for me, and I never ever wanted to stop. But there is a time where it needs to stop uh, as uh, I get a bit older and, you know, I walk off into the sunset, take off that cap and let the sunset behind me. Well, it's a privilege to watch you compete in the Octagon. I hope to enjoy that for many more years. A pleasure speaking with you and to, uh, to meet you. And I hope to speak with you again soon. Best of luck this weekend. Yep, thank you very much, man. And uh, you know what? We'll be representing for uh, all of Scotland and all the Canadian Scots out there as well. Let's get it done. I'm joined by one of the best prospects in mixed martial arts today. He's Mohamed Mokhayev. Uh, thank you for joining me, sir. You've got a, a big matchup against Cody Durden uh, set up for your first UFC bout. How confident are you going into this against an opponent like Cody, who's a, who's a pretty high-motor athlete? Uh, thank you for the interview. Hello. And um, yes, I'm, I'm really confident. Um, listen, I'm in the best organization in the world. So now to prove, to show my skills. And um, I'm, I'm really hungry and motivated. It's, I'm fighting for, for everyone, you know, for like, um, basically, I'm here to feed my family, you know, so I'm, I'm very hungry. You came up in uh, kind of a different path than a lot of other athletes. You were doing the IMMAF, and you were kind of the face of the IMMAF for several years because of, of your talent and your upside. Tell me about your journey of how you started in IMMAF and then went on to becoming a UFC athlete. Yeah, so I was competing in regional um, shows in UK, and then I wanted I want to something different before I go to professional. I want to test myself against best fighters around the world, like uh, you know, like number one contenders from each country. You know, so uh, I went in 2018, won world championships in bantamweight division, then won European championships, Oceanic championships, uh, IMAFs, and uh, and and also like world championships 2019. So like back back to back two goals and gave me a lot of experience and confidence like fighting on a bad days when I was feeling bad didn't feel good and it helped me to stay like strong mindset and what's the pressure like for a UFC event versus those other previous events that you did I mean you were fighting at such a high level prior to that do you think that that gets you set up for an event like this definitely for sure you know like I fought like common event on Brave CF and uh, like last year uh, against two opponent also like Blaine Odrisco like 29 years old is a lot of media and stuff like this I've gone past this a lot you know like maybe it's surprise for new fans who knew, knew, knew just finding out about me but I've been through all this like I've been um, I've been through, through all this pressure a lot now now it's just another another step to my final goal Are you happy that this first event in the UFC is in London it's a place you're familiar with that you've lived for much of your life? Yes, to be honest, this is a, bit, a story behind UFC London. Like in 2016, I, I was in the same hotel. Uh, like I, I went to watch UFC in 2016. My friend Rustam Khabilov fighting there. I came there as a fan. And, uh, and I told him I'll be dead soon, you know. So like six years later, I'm, I'm on the card. And also the, the timing wise is good because I told Dana White in 2018, in four years, I'm going to be in UFC, and it happened. Yeah, here you are. That's that's uh, that's what they call manifesting. You've manifested your way into the UFC, of course, not with the shortage of, of hard work to, to get there. Um, you uh, became a British citizen uh, fairly recently as well. How much easier is that making your life in terms of travel and in terms of your options for training? Uh, I'm, I'm much easier. I went to a training camp. There's no problem with board, border control. There's no problem to coming back to UK. As it used to be, you know, like on my refugee status, it was like every time I was coming back for last past past five years, they was asking me like, why did why you why are you coming back? And I'm like, I'm living here. And they're like, how long are you gonna stay? Questions like this was like it was quite annoying. So, so I'm feeling like free citizen now. 
Yeah, that must really be a, a big relief for you. And when you enter the cage on Saturday, you're going to be representing uh, the United Kingdom, correct? Like that, That's the flag that you'll have by your name? That's right. Yeah, I know that uh, Paddy Pimblett, who's also on this card, I don't know if you've seen him at all in the hotels. Seems like he's getting into problems with all kinds of different fighters, but he had something negative to say about the fact that you were um, representing uh, England. Have you had a chance to speak to him about that? Uh, I will. I will see him when. When we will see when he was right. It will be right timing. We will talk. But for now, uh, I don't want to get any uh, trouble. I'm, I'm a f- new for UFC, and um, I have to be a good face. But after fight, we will definitely uh, talk face to face because uh, he, he. He. Who is he to tell me I can't represent country or not? Like. He talks. He talks about but about everyone. But in real life, he's he's not same man as on social media. That's why he's, he's not much to prove to him. You know. I just don't understand why he cares. Like why you're not in his weight class. He, he's not going to be facing you in the future. What's his problem with people representing England? I mean, you're 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 doing it because you love the country. I I don't understand why there's an issue. I think I'm I'm, I'm like competitive to him. Like he for for me he he's nobody to me, but. For him, I am because I'm. I have good results. I have. Um, I have, have like results. I'm winning. I'm. I'm like people say like a hype. You know, a lot of hype. But he's just hype, and you'll see this very soon. And um, maybe he feel like competition because in, in, there's no many fighters in UK. But forget about this guy. You know. Yeah, I get. It. I just, it, I just don't understand it because I think that you want to see as many people from your country do as well as possible. Like that's why, to me, it's confusing. It's like, wouldn't he be glad if there's a, an English champion in the flyweight division, an English champion in the heavyweight division? You got Tom Aspinall in the main event. I, I just don't see why anybody would have a problem with that. It's just, it's confusing to me. Uh, it's, it's because a bit like two, three guys from his gym passed in amateurs, like smashed them, you know, like, like just played with them, and maybe he's upset over that. So what what can I do about it? You know, he's happy or he's not. I don't give a about. I don't care. You know, like what he's gonna do about it. I'm in same hotel. Come see me. You know, if he's not happy. Okay, so that makes more sense that you've beaten guys from his gym. <laughs> now, now, now I can at least understand it a little bit. Yeah, a bit, a bit. All all his all the guys from his gym actually, um, like uh, like past. Many times in grappling competitions, in wrestling competitions, whoever competed from his gym is just like a bit everybody. So who was facing me? So it's it's not. I don't find anybody uh, like competitive for me. That's why he's upset. I think. We haven't enough. seen a lot of fighters from Dagestan get to a very high uh, place in the flyweight division. I don't know. Is um is Askarov from Dagestan? Maybe I'm getting confused. Who Aspino? Uh, no, Askarov. Askarov in the uh, flyweight division. Yes, Askarov is from Dagestan, from Dagestan too, yeah. Okay, so so there is somebody in the flyweight division that's gotten to a higher level uh, from Dagestan, so I stand corrected. Uh, do you know uh, Askarov? Yes, we spoke a couple of times. Um, uh, he's, he was actually in Bahrain recently, but we didn't get a chance to meet, but uh, I do support him. He's, he's, uh, he's, a, he's a great guy, good history behind and um, hope he will. Hope he takes title soon. Well, you're somebody who says you want to take the title by the end of 2023. So you've got a year and a half to do that. And the flyweight division is not the deepest division. So do you think that that's a realistic goal? For me? Yeah. It is possible. Why not? It's this is small division, and um, and uh, like uh, results will talk for when. When I, when I finish Cody Jordan, I put results on the table for UFC and they put me in top 15. Do you think you could become the youngest champion in UFC history? I think John Jones was 23 when he won the light heavyweight championship, but that that's a record that could still be broken. It's possible. It's possible. Now, right now, there's a lot of turmoil going on in the world with uh, with Russia and, and Ukraine. Do you, do you have any sort of opinion on that? I know you've been separated from living in Russia for, for a long time. So I'm not sure what your thoughts are on what's going on in in terms of um, in in the Ukraine and with Russia. To be honest, like I don't get involved in politics. I'm a professional athlete. There's war going on in uh, Palestine, Syria, 
Afghanistan, Yemen, you know, there's war going on around the world. So if we if we start talking about war, there's in every part of the world there's war. So I just uh, I just wish all the best to all refugees that are leaving the country. That wish all the best uh, to whole families. That like uh, I wish um, I wish um, you know patience to all families that are losing their sons, like fathers, you know. So and I said, you know, and 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 don't lose your hope when you're moving to another country because you will get better life. This is something uh, for better for your uh, reason. Uh, everything, everything happens for a reason. And finally, with uh, Durden, what, what's your path to victory against him? How do you think you're going to uh, defeat him um, if you had a prediction for how the fight goes and how you, you envision the fight going? Second round, Chikyo. All right, well, there you go. I guess you've, you've pictured this in your head several times. You answered that question very quickly. Yeah, that's right. All right, Mohammed, it's a pleasure to meet you. Uh, best of luck on Saturday in your debut, and we look forward to many years of watching you compete in the UFC at the highest level. Thank you so much. Have a good day. A huge thank you to all of our guests, Patty Pimblett, Dan Hooker, Paul Craig, and Muhammad Mukhayev. Appreciate them joining me on the show. You can watch the video interviews uh, if you... I know you've listened to them in audio form, but hey, if you want to see my, my mug, you can go to tsn.ca slash UFC for that and all of my other coverage of every event that is coming up. Excited that I will be uh, on site at UFC 274 in uh, Phoenix, Arizona in May. And uh, at International Fight Week in July, it looks like travel is starting to pick up again. So looking forward to being on location for those two particular events. In addition, the standard edition of the TSM MMA show is available for your listening pleasure. Uh, Joe is in Belgium, so I, I was flying solo for that one. Always fun to talk for 45 minutes straight. And, uh, you know, strain the old vocal cords, but uh, a lot of fun. I mean, I shouldn't complain. You, you see how Wani doing like 10 to 12 hours of of live programming every week so uh, i'm sure your your complaints of me talking for 45 minutes straight fall on on deaf ears and i don't blame you uh, so you can check that out and of course my tsn edge picks will be available you can uh, subscribe to my newsletter on twitter the uh bronstetter review each and every week you can get uh access to these interviews my uh, tsn edge pick news and notes uh, appreciate you doing that and you can rate and review the tsn mma show wherever you get your podcasts would appreciate it if you did that as well uh, thank you for tuning in We'll see you next week with some more great interviews for your listening pleasure. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.